Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 160 of Maximize Your Influence, and I'm Steve Olson. I have Kurt Mortensen here with me. We're ready for another episode. We have a fantastic plan for today's episode. Kurt, how's your day going? Didn't you say we have a great plan for the show? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm excited. We got a plan. We got a place we're going. This is good. This is good. I'm getting ready to go to Boston this week. Give me some of that legal seafood and Boston cream pie so we can check that off the list. We've talked about food so far, but those are some good favorites out there. Are you going to pack your cot, Harvard Yacht? <laughs> if I knew what that meant, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I think it means parking an automobile at Harvard University is what it means. Is that what it is? Yeah. The hard thing is pronouncing the names right, like Wooster. Looks like Worcester, but it's Wooster. So that's one of the hard things is getting you to say the names right because they know you're not from there. I don't even try to pretend I know how to say it. Uh, they speak the Queen's English or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's English. <laughs> now that we've offended all the people from Boston. You know. I don't know if you want to offend them. They can get rowdy, can't they? Yeah, I would be scared to go to a Patriots game <laughs> if I wasn't wearing a Patriots jersey. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We should my take a poll on what the scariest place is to go to a sports event if you're an opposing oh, fan. It's got to be Ravens, Raiders are going to be up there. Yeah, you're <laughs> a Broncos fan going to a Raiders game? Is that probably it? Yeah, I know my daughter was wearing a Steelers shirt to an Eagles game, and that didn't go over very well. Yeah. Mm. We'd like to hear about that from listeners. Send it to us at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. If you, if you know of any particularly rough sporting events for visiting fans, that's... That's kind of interesting. So I would think it would depend on the sport. I bet hockey's a couple notches higher than football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're probably missing it entirely. It's, it's probably like a Toronto Maple Leafs versus Montreal Canadiens game. It probably is. Yeah, We're giving America too much credit here. <laughs> uh, you do see, though. I mean, it's, people like to bag on America for how obsessed it is with sports, but I see these soccer games in the UK and South America where people are killing each other and tearing down stadiums. Uh, it seems like America takes it pretty light. Yeah, maybe it's a country thing, then a sports thing, and then the, the rival thing. There might be many factors to look at here. Yes, there might be. We probably won't look at them. We'll probably just make fun of them. <laughs> there we go. That's easy. Yeah. yeah. When in doubt, <laughs> make fun. There we go. Mm -hmm. Very understanding of us. Well, yeah, you were shocked that we had a plan for the show. I've told the listeners many times that we are occasionally known to show prep. Sometimes we do plan out what we're going to talk about, and we have done that today. I want to remind all the listeners to follow us on Twitter at InfluenceMax or like us on Facebook. You can just punch Maximize Your Influence in the search bar on Facebook, and you will see us there. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or on Windows Marketplace, or you can just listen to it old school by going to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. So there's the housekeeping for the day. And actually, we're going to do a show interview here in just a minute. But before we do that, we got to queue up that ninja. Ah, uh, ninja go. <laughs> All right, I got the ninja here. It's pretty simple. Going to a college football game, cheering rivalry. We're talking about sports today. And people are out there handing things out. And it's automatic. When someone's put something in your space, you, you take it. And sometimes it depends what it is, but this was the lineup for the home team. 
And who would want the lineup? It's almost like a free program. I took it, and it did have the whole offense, defense, the special teams lineup right on it. And then I turned it over, and there's this guy running for president. I haven't even heard of his name. And he's got all his information, where he's going to be, what he believes in. And I have I have this thing in my hand. So do, I don't know, 50,000 other people, whatever the number is. And I thought it was a clever technique, maybe a little deceptive, but maybe not. I mean, it did have what they said it had, but they use that space on the back to promote something at an event where nobody really wanted to think about it, but they got them to think about it. Well, nobody's going to hand out a lineup out of the goodness of their heart. <laughs> well, you, there's some good people out there that might be willing to do that. I don't think I've met any of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not. I, hey, line up, you know, quick thinking, and you grab it. It's done. It's true. I, I was out of town over the weekend, so I had mail pile up. And I got the mail this morning, and I think I threw away three or four uh, political postcards. It didn't even pay them any mind. So these guys are definitely laser targeting that, but they got people to see. They definitely increased awareness. Yeah, even if they only get in 1-2%, that was probably well worth their time. Yeah, be interesting to see if people continue to do that, give out free lineups at, at games where you can get that in the hands of 60,000 people. Yeah, it should be free peanuts or free popcorn or free something. <laughs> That's the whole revolution that Google started, right? That book That's free true. by Chris Anderson. It's just give it away for free and make a bunch of money. It's hard to wrap your brain around that. But that's the trend. Prove your worth, give it away for free, then they want more. Yeah, I've noticed, I was talking about this with a couple of agents in my office, that increasingly our job is becoming educating people, right? And not having an ulterior motive. Educate, 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 and then when it's time for them to do something, then you've totally earned their business. And I will say that when it's time to close, it's so much easier because the decision's already made up because, as you talk about, they have power and credibility, and it's a done deal. That's important, and that's a new phase of the world of influence is you've got to prove your credibility, teach them some new things, educate them, but at the same time, you've got to be influential and build that trust so when they're ready to go, you're ready to make the deal. It seems like that phenomenon of the unpaid consultant, right? A lot of sales trainers like to use that term. Oh, you're a bad salesman. You're an unpaid consultant. I don't know if it's becoming less true, but I do think it's becoming less true that you can't educate people. That's kind of what they expect. Google changed that forever. It has changed. And so there's a lot of truth to being a consultant, but you want to be the paid consultant. Right, right. There has to be some strategy <laughs> to how you're consulting and how you're doing that. If you're just doing it forever and ever, and I don't know if that's going to go anywhere. Map it out, because then it'll end well for you. Okay, so we are going to cut to our guest interview here in just a second. You ever had a really awkward conversation with somebody, kind of like right now? <laughs> Me? Oh, never. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some people, you have them, and they are just torture, absolute torture. Yeah. I think the worst conversation, the most awkward, is when you're at a wedding reception, and you're in line, and you're there to see, say, the groom. And the line stops right in front of the bride's mom. <laughs> and it's it just reminds me of... Dumb and Dumber when Jim Carrey comes out of the gas station and he says, hey, guys, big gulps, huh? Well, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> and that's really what are you going to talk about? So yeah, yeah. Rob is going to give us some good conversation points. And like we were talking about, you have to be strategic and how those are done and how they're going to take place in the workplace and with prospects. So let's cut now to our interview with Rob Kendall. 
My pleasure to welcome to the show Rob Kendall. Rob has spent 25 years studying the art and practice of conversation. And the techniques taught by Rob are covered in more depth in his books Blamestorming and Workstorming and have been developed from working with thousands of people, including business leaders, sports professionals, and teenagers, probably the toughest. He's also worked with over 70 organizations, including the 2012 London Olympics, Virgin, Post Office, and BBC Worldwide. I think it'll be a, a dead giveaway what part of the world Rob is from. How you doing, Rob? Very well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you. And you have a very interesting niche that you've carved out here about having effective conversations at at work and at home. And I think our listeners are going to find it very helpful. Uh, thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'll kick it off here. Of course, our listeners always want to know. We always start off with this question. Rob, as you look at the world of vegetables, your favorite topic probably, what is the worst vegetable out there and why? Well, I have to say, I don't look at the world of vegetables that often, but I'd probably say a turnip. <laughs> I'm sure a turnip is a wonderful vegetable, but I've never quite seen the point of it. <laughs> One of those that we could just delete off the list and nobody would cry, right? I think so, from my perspective, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever had a good turnip. That might be an oxymoron, but anyway, <laughs> that's a great answer. All right, we'll take turnip. We'll put it on the list. I think that's the first turnip we've had, but Rob makes a compelling argument, so that's good stuff. <laughs> that's very good. That's a good start. Yeah, it is. It is. We like to talk on the show too, Rob. Whenever we're, we're addressing a specific topic, I'd like to ask people what the, the worst blunder is that they've seen or that they can recall on the spot. Taking all of your research into effective conversations into account, can you think of a really bad conversational blunder that somebody or maybe even yourself has made recently? Don't, don't, don't! Well, this wasn't necessarily recent, but I can certainly tell you the worst one that I think I ever made. It was a few years ago, and my sister-in-law asked me if I would say grace at her wedding. It was a number of months before the wedding, and somehow I promptly forgot. <laughs> so uh, if you fast forward to the big day, there were 100 people, and we all clapped as the new bride and groom entered for the wedding banquet, and then we all stood up for the grace, at which point, just on the edge of my consciousness, I heard my name being mentioned, and suddenly it all came flooding back. I had less than a second to think what I wanted to say. Certainly one of those ground swallow me up kind of moments. And to this day, I've absolutely no idea what came out of my mouth. But <laughs> the lesson I learned is that sometimes you just have to open your mouth and trust what comes out. <laughs> a few years later, she was gracious enough and asked me whether I'd forgotten or not. And I, uh, I confessed. <laughs> Well, at least she's still talking to you. That's absolutely, the first step, right? absolutely right. <laughs> That's good. So let's talk about small talk. My question is, how do you become a master of small talk? Number one and number two is why is it so important? Well, I think small talk is different, isn't it, for different people? I think if you're extroverted, often it just comes naturally. For instance, I look at my son, my youngest, who's 15 now, and a small talk has just been something he's never had a problem or an issue with. So if you take him as an example, you would probably say the main thing he needs to learn is to listen. Whereas I think it's different if it's somebody who's introverted and where the whole idea of small talk is much more challenging. So given that that's much more how I grew up as someone who was shy and introverted, I think the main thing I've learned is that you can develop it as a skill. Can anybody develop it? Is there a point where 
people have mastered it or something we're always working on? Well, in my view, all a conversation is something you're working on. I think the whole idea you get to the point where you say I've cracked it would be a ludicrous idea. But I think for me, small talk's really about reciprocity. It's about finding common ground. And so I think for somebody who's more introverted, the idea of being able to ask questions that gain entry into a deeper conversation and create common ground is always a good starting point. And also often people who are introverts make fantastic listeners. So from that perspective, I think whether you're extroverted or introverted, you've always got something to bring. But equally, it's something we can always get better at. Great point. We could always improve in that area. That is for sure. Rob, what do you think we need to know about gender differences in conversation, talking with a male versus a female? It's a great question, isn't it? And I don't know whether we got time today to do justice to it. But in my book, Workstorming, I talk a bit about gender and the impact of that on conversation. And I, I caveat it by saying, I don't think you can ever make hard and fast conclusions about differences because not everybody conforms to the same rule. So I think it's more something that's proportional. But at the same time, I think there are differences. I love the work that Deborah Tannen's done on gender and language. And she talks about the difference between report talk, which is more a man's style of communication, and rapport talk, which it tends to be more the way that women talk. And uh, what I mean by that is for women, there's often a much greater emphasis on affinity and creating connection. So it's interesting, the research that shows that women tend to ask many more questions than men because it's a way of involving them in the conversation and creating consensus in a conversation. Whereas for men, there often tends to be a much greater emphasis on maintaining independence and avoiding vulnerability. So it's fascinating when you start to look at how we use language in different, different ways. So, for example, women tend to use much more pronouns. So they will say I, you, she, and so on. Whereas uh, men tend to use more articles like A and V. So they refer more to objects. So I think when you understand those kind of differences, it sometimes allows you to adapt your style of communication uh, more effectively for the person that you're speaking to, and also value differences more strongly. A follow-up question to that. Do you have any thoughts on this whole men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing? I was thinking about that as you were saying this, where men want to they want to solve problems and women want to talk. I think you alluded that to some degree, but does that seem to go along with the research that you've done? Well, I think you'd have to say not always, but often. So the thing I notice so often, for instance, working in organizations where you've got large groups of people together, and I think in those environments, those stereotypes often do hold true. And I think the other thing that's very difficult, particularly in organizational life, and I see it again and again and again, particularly at a senior level, is so often organizations are skewed more towards male ways of communicating and I give the example in my book of one organization where there was only one woman in the entire extended leadership community of the organization. And I was sitting next to her one night at dinner and the conversation kind of devolved and got to the point where I was a little bit embarrassed with the direction it was going in. And, and I turned to her and I said to her, you know, in a whisper, I said, well, how do you cope? 
and she said, well, I behave like a man. <laughs> and it really summed up for me that from her perspective, she saw the way to survive and to cope was to behave like a man in that environment. And yet you could see when you were with the, that team that what they were missing was all the wonderful quality and contribution that comes with what women bring to a conversation. So I think really what we need is both of those. So I think in answer to your question, yes, definitely there's some truth uh, in um, the men and Mars analogy. But I think, you know, you have to take the view that not in every instance and in every situation. Would you see that the same way? I think so. I think so. Playing off of the example that you gave, I've met women who work in a male-dominated environment. And if they've been there more than a couple of months, <laughs> they have to do exactly what you've said. They have to kind of adapt. And hey, vice versa. Men that are in a women environment, they have to learn to be be more warm and engaging and, and, and talk and spend more time. I think that what you're saying, that it's not always that way, but the stereotype is is pretty reliable. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I think well said. So in your book, you talked about power and conversations. First of all, let's define power and why you can have power when you don't have authority. I think in answer to your question, there's a difference between power and authority. I think so often authority is a function of rank. Whereas the thing that's interesting about power is that wherever you are in the status or the hierarchy of things, so often when we look through life and we look at social transformations, for example, we see people that don't necessarily have a high rank, but manage to create a possibility and engage people's commitment around that possibility to be able to make something happen. So the conclusion to all of that is we've all got the power to be able to make a difference, to have conversations that move life and to create possibilities that have the future go in a different direction. So I think it's safe to say, too, that in the workplace, especially, people always underestimate their power, even if they're talking to a CEO. So how does someone find their power or get their power when they're talking to someone that they feel is maybe out of their league or they're outranked? It's a really good question, isn't it? I think the starting point for me would always be to go back to my values. If my values are about open and honest communication, if I center myself in my values, then it gives me more of an opportunity to be able to find my voice and say it how it is for me. I think also the biggest obstacle so often to us finding our voice is our own internal conversation, thinking, well, who am I to say this? You know, what contribution could I possibly say? Am I going to muck it up? You know, what's the consequence going to be or is it going to be career limiting? So I think the other thing for me is when we can notice our thoughts and feelings, particularly the negative ones, and if you like, have them rather than being them. And I think when we're able to do that and notice what's going on in our internal conversation and reference ourselves in our values, then in that instance, so often we're able to find our voice. And uh, just by way of example, there's a lovely story about Judy Dench, who by any stretch of the imagination, is one of the greatest actresses in the world today. And it's wonderful where you hear her talking about power because she says that she's terrified whenever she's in front of an audience. But the way she describes it is that she's come to embrace her fear 
She says, I wouldn't be without it. So I think sometimes our internal thoughts and feelings, if we can have them, rather than being at the effect of them, can make us stronger rather than weaker. Good points. So a little bit of a change of gears here. I frequently deal with people in my business and in my world where we might meet in person at first and develop a conversation, start to develop a relationship, or we might meet via email, and then we switch gears. What advice do you have for maintaining an effective conversations when the conversation medium is constantly changing? Yeah, it's very different, isn't it? I think we have to work so much harder in certain channels to be able to provide the context to what we're saying or what we're asking for. So obviously when you're face-to-face with somebody, you get all those fantastic visual clues. You notice where an eyebrow gets slightly lifted or the rolls, the eyes get slightly rolled. Uh, you have all the benefit of tone to the conversation as well, as we do in this conversation now. And of course, when you're, for instance, on email, you don't get the benefit of that. So I think the main thing for me is, number one, particularly if you've got an issue or a problem, I would always advise people to go up the communication chain. So switch from email to phone, or if possible, switch from phone to a face-to-face conversation. But I think if you're restricted to email, then the most important thing is to provide the context for what you're saying so that people know where you're coming from. So I think in those situations, it's much less likely that they're going to take offense or that the conversation's going to go off the rails. Like you were saying about all the things you miss when a conversation is happening in writing, I'm curious to see what you have to say about this. Somebody told me once that it's really bad to have those tough conversations that way because people read emails and texts from the frame of reference of the mood that they're in, not the mood that it was written in. Thoughts about that? Yes, I think that definitely can be the case, although... I think the same would apply in a face-to-face conversation, Mm. that the way you respond, whether it's email or face-to-face or phone, can also be very much dependent on what kind of mood that you're in. Um, But I think the thing that's interesting for me is where you're approaching particularly a difficult conversation. If you set the context well, then to some extent you can deactivate somebody's alarm system uh, so it doesn't look like a threat. And I know you've talked about this and discussed this previously, but what so often happens in a conversation, if we go about it the wrong way, then it sort of activates everybody's, the other person's limbic responses. They go into defensive mode or attacking mode, and you end up in a conversation where you feel like you're opposite them rather than alongside them. So I think if you can deactivate that by saying, this is how come I'm having the conversation with you, um, and this is what I'm committed to or what's important to me. I really want this to be successful and I want to be honest with you. Then often when you do that, it sets a different basis for the conversation and the other person's much more able to hear what you have to say. All right. So when we talk about having those conversations at work, what's the one thing that you want our listeners to know? What's the one thing maybe we've missed or that you want to reiterate? Well, I think the thing in my book that I talk about so much is that, and that I'm really interested in exploring is, what's the impact of the environment that we work in now on the way that we communicate? So we're in an environment where we're much more distracted. We've got stimuli coming at us all the time. Our attention span is diminishing. We've got different channels that we're operating in. And so the thing I'm most 
wanted to explore is the impact that this having on the tendency to have more kind of mindless as opposed to mindful conversations. And so I think we have to work harder uh, to be able to give our attention fully to the conversation that we're in. So I was interested in one of the studies, Microsoft did a study recently where they said our attention span is now shorter than that of a goldfish. Uh, so uh, supposedly uh, around uh, eight seconds, or I think a goldfish purportedly is supposed to be nine seconds. But I think the difficulty that that gives is how can we give our attention fully to the conversation that we're in? And I think we have to work much harder to do that. So one of the things I really focus on in the book is the whole idea of how can we be present in whatever conversation we're in, whether it lasts for 20 seconds or it lasts for two hours, the whole idea of presence. And I think when we can do that, our conversations become more mindful, people experience being heard, they're much more productive and effective. The productivity in our work environment goes up all the time, particularly based on the fact that so much of our life is spent in conversation in the workplace. That's really good, Rob. You've shared some fantastic stuff with our listeners today. Where can they go to learn more about you and what you do? Well, I'd love it if people bought my new book, Workstorming. It's called Workstorming, Why Conversations at Work Go Wrong and How to Fix Them. They can also go to my website, which is conversationexpert.com. And really my passion more than anything is that we develop and restore the art of conversation. If we look at it as a lifelong skill for us to develop and to improve in. So uh, please do send me any feedback on my book and go to conversationexpert.com. Fantastic, Rob. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much to both of you. Really good to speak to you. Take care. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, Rob, that'll do it. Great stuff. Yeah, good to speak to you. And sorry to, um, it was one of those moments halfway through. <laughs> where. Uh, oh, don't worry about it. We, we all do that. Somebody showed up with a freshly baked loaf of bread, and I uh, oh, wasn't quite expecting that. Oh, yeah, yeah. How are you going to handle that? Exactly. <laughs> so, no problem at all. I'll shoot you an email, Rob, when we have this episode posted and live. So if you want to get it out to your list, and then you're, you're certainly welcome to. Oh, that's fantastic. Good to speak to you both. Hope you both have a good day. Yeah, have a nice night. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right, Kurt, that was our interview with Rob Kendall over in the UK, who had some very valid points about conversation. I think that it's, it's important to pay attention to something that seems so basic, but such a big part of our everyday life, yet so many people, myself included sometimes, are so bad at it. Yeah, we all need to work on it, and he mentioned that. And I think you need to bring out, too, that we can do small talk, but we small talk like we like to be small talk, too. And we need to adjust and adapt not only to gender, but to culture, but to personality, and even proxemics. I know in some cultures we've talked about proxemics or the study of space. Some cultures want to be in your face, feel in your breath. Some cultures, like Germany, they need more space versus North America and South America. So there's a lot of elements there that we need to adapt and adjust because it's the small talk that gets us to connect which starts the relationship, which starts the influence process. And this is one of the first things. And some people don't even like small talk. They want to know why you're there before they start talking about their friends or family or trophy on the wall. But it's a great thing that anybody can master and work on because it is the spark to most relationships.
Good stuff. Good stuff, everybody. Once again, thank you for listening to Maximize Your Influence. This has been episode 160. We'll catch you next week on another episode. Take care. Persuade with power.